Are you ready to begin? I am. Hello, this is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season we'll have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary. We are two girls. Too sad. Let's jump into the syllabus. New season, baby. New season. (laughs) And all about priests. Just kidding. Not just priests. Uh, Religiosity. Mostly priests. Yeah. (laughs) But mostly priests. Particularly, yeah, Catholicism, I guess, stating that we both have experience with that um <laughs> yeah speaking from a, a personal the personal experience yes yeah yeah <laughs> beginning with christianity in the united states is very wide and very varied so i, I wouldn't want to uh <laughs> talk to anyone else's experiences i guess but something that we both have in common uh is a lot of experience with the catholic church Yes. And uh, it's having a resurgence, curiously. A huge resurgence in pop culture, mostly social media. And uh, some of it is ironic. Some of it is very reverent. Some Mm -hmm. of it is uh, you just don't know. You don't know what you're getting. (laughs) If whether it's like real true religiosity or or not. And uh, yeah. And yeah, and either end of the spectrum, there is a lot of performance of these Catholic rituals, iconography, um, appearing <laughs> everywhere. Um, and in, yeah, from TikTok fashion to red carpet stuff, um, to media, to television and movies and things like that. And it's been happening, I guess it got its start. Uh, in around like 2018, 2017, 2018 was when things started to get the, the style of religious iconography started to have a resurgence, regaining popularity. A lot of the, um, basis for this season of the pod is, um, or at least the backbone research for this season is a recent GQ article, uh, about God trending, uh, and, and they also cite uh, this moment, um, particularly they cite the Met Gala uh, with this, the Heavenly Bodies exhibit, which happened in the summer of 2018. And celebrities were tasked, <laughs> celebrities and stylists were tasked to style after the Catholic Church. I mean, there's no, no doubt about it, the, ca- the art... Uh, from the Catholic Church, the art of Christianity uh, has been uh, the most, one of the most dominating visual styles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that is all to say is like Catholic Church obviously has had a huge impact across all art from during its entire, I guess, reign of dominance, Um, (laughs) its empire. Um, So it's always been obviously a huge influence. Um, but this particular approach to, I think, incorporating that iconography and the sort of irony or non-ironic instances seems really particular to now. 
Uh, not to get into predetermination, but <laughs> <laughs> but okay. Uh... <laughs> that was a little um, Catholic philosophy joke. Uh, <laughs> but I wonder if it was always if this was always destined to happen because <laughs> because social media became um you know a big thing that people talk about with like instagram for example and instagram being so huge and social media everything is so visual and and people mm-hmm. exercise a lot of like visual creativity um and everybody is on instagram basically or everybody is scrolling some type of and then instagram memes are recycled onto facebook or there um now there's like an exchange between like tiktok and instagram and with culture becoming so visual uh do you think that religiosity was gonna was always gonna make a resurgence considering the the especially christian iconography is it, it it's such a heavy hitter in the visual realm yeah um that's a great point i do think like the the especially like looking at the heavenly body show that intense decadence of that type of iconography um becomes more accessible when it's on social media like anyone could interact with it versus when it's in a church in a city you know like Mm -hmm. um or in a museum buried under these like decades and um centuries of history Mm -hmm. and uh ideology so then it becomes playful which i don't think (laughs) uh this (laughs) art has ever been this like yeah this iconography has ever really been but now it gets a chance to be like played with yeah and i guess like for the met of course the met gala is all about showcasing showcasing art obviously but for the costume institute it's about playing off of what is a part of the Met's collection and breathing new life into it through this like a decadent gala um and mm-hmm. having celebrities participate and by um by default when celebrities participate then the rest of pop culture participates and um and i wonder if like, because the Met has, of course, the cloisters, which is, uh, they have a right. huge, just already medieval Christian collection in at their, in their main museum, but then they also have the cloisters, um, which is a huge uh, uh, showcase of, of religious iconography, of course, in various mediums. It's sculpture, it's painting, it's tapestries. And so then, yeah, they want to show that off, or rather, like, sort of breathe new life into that give popularity to that location and then what ends up happening is then this like huge proliferation of um of just repopulate more popularity or regained i don't know resurrected (laughs) oh (laughs) resurrected popularity yeah so obviously there's a lot to talk about (laughs) yeah 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 season um Right. And I do think we have kind of like narrowed it down that that GQ article, I have it in front of me, by Rachel Lisner. It's from August. Prayers up. Um, it talks about, you know, mostly U.S. Christianity on social media and fashion mm-hmm. um, influence. 
but it's talking about all denominations. And so I think we are kind of narrowing it down to a very particular type, obviously Catholicism and and this ironic, non-ironic um, interplay, um, which kind of, you know, helps shape the season for us. <laughs> but then there's also just so much other media that is doing kind of the same thing or interacting yeah. with similar themes. I mean, there's so many priests out there in books and movies. <laughs> People have a real fetish for priests. I mean, like oh, yeah. dating back to, um, dating back pre Fleabag. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. What? Which is why this this episode is on a uh, hot priests. Uh, <laughs> They are, they're like, you know, they're taboo, but they're also a little safe. Um, you know, so they, yeah, they appear, appear, appear. Yeah. Um, you know, what's a thought that I just had is like, so I was thinking about, uh, like Halloween costumes and stuff. People, people, irreverent Halloween costumes, people will dress up as priests for sure. Um, yeah. but there's also like, sometimes people dress up as nuns and I guess there are sexy nun costumes that you can find at a spirit Halloween, but nuns are yeah. not as fetishized as priests and to, in my mind. No, I think you're right. And there's that's, like, yeah, there's a few instances, but generally no, not at all. I don't think. And it's, I mean the, the, the joke or the sort of like. I guess there is like a pop culture, like fanfic idea of like priests and nuns, like getting together. Um, however, when you think about like secular versus secular lay people and clergy, um, priests are way more fetishized and nuns are less fetishized. I, it that probably has to do with something like, like a, a celibate woman is less because she's mm -hmm. like cutting off sexuality that like feeds into a purity thing and like sometimes that's mm -hmm. I guess in some like in some corners of the world that's probably like purity obviously is fetishized but it just it just seems like priests like going against the cloth or whatever <laughs> <laughs> like everybody just clings to that that's like way sexier or something I don't know right well because in those Halloween costumes the like sexy priest <laughs> It's not like, I at least from what I've seen, they're never like scantily dressed like a sexy nun kind of would be right. like a short habit or like, you know, like they're just wearing a priest outfit. <laughs> they're just yeah. wearing like a suit and a collar. Yeah. And, the, and you know, are fully clothed usually. Uh, I'm sure there are instances that break that rule, but the idea is just, oh, I'm a priest. So therefore I'm the, it's sexy. The... And <laughs> I... <laughs> there's also now I'm also like thinking about this way too hard, probably, but there's also like this um, the priests. So nuns can't like are not fetishized in the larger uh, cultural imagination because it's because women are fetishized because they are seen as sex, sex objects. And then a, and then a nun who uh a sister <laughs> a nun who puts that boundary up it's like oh that's that's gross that's bad like a woman having mm -hmm. autonomy over her own body gross uh <laughs> um but 
but the other another thing that might make priests sexy is um or one of the things uh is priests are like sort of emotionally available if you think about it because they you go to like seek counsel and like when you go to confession they're just like it's fine like they don't obviously they don't validate whatever but they're like (laughs) these listeners that's Mm -hmm. yeah that's a and i think in general right they interact more with a public audience right because i was just trying to have you ever heard of a sexy monk not so much maybe (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point (laughs) who are like yes very cloistered nuns less so but can be pretty cloistered um so i think there's just like also less interaction with the public yeah priests are very generally incredibly public facing yeah and yeah they're good listeners like i think that fleabag show (laughs) that is like the basis of his hotness is that he listens yeah and he notices things about her there's that whole plot point where he like he notices when she's like looking at the camera or whatever she's like doing her own like self-reflection oh yeah right he's like what are you doing yeah (laughs) she's like his neck his beautiful neck he's like what did you say excuse me (laughs) Um, Uh, yeah that was a that was a great season of fleabag Yep, <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. So we see it in Fleabag. I you definitely see it in romance novels um, of the priest. And I don't know. Yeah, I think some of it's a listener. In some regards, a priest is a leader. So I think mm-hmm. there's that. Um, and I think there's also this like sort of secret desire that like you were able to tempt this man away from yeah. his vows or something like that like yeah. that you, you're above god in some way <laughs> yeah i was just about to say that it's like it's like the when a priest breaks his vows that means that you've successfully seduced him and that i guess is hot uh <laughs> Which, like, that's also, it's it's interesting, it, that might be why there's a lot more Catholic drag happening, because um, in other Christian denominations, reverends and pastors can be married, and right. they sort of um, participate in normal life, or what is, or the... Um, the typical lay person right yeah Yeah. and so there's um there's a sense of yeah there's a sense of normalcy and um whereas like a priest is sort of a priest is reified and then that can be fed that's fetishized that can be of course they like priests themselves will abuse their own power um because of that and uh and and that's what sets it apart and that might be and i think that like that's a big, um, that's a big, Catholicism itself is like, is so set apart from the other denominations, um, where it's interesting where there's like many varied Christian denominations that each have their own sort of, uh, each have their own details and, and different kind of rituals, you know, a Baptist is not a Mm -hmm. Lutheran and is not a Pentecostal, 
um, is not right. a Methodist and stuff. But then, and so, but like none of none of those denominations have such a cultural hold on people's imaginations, um, whereas like Catholicism, Catholicism definitely does, probably because it's so super old. It's old. It has money, obviously. Yeah. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of Christian churches in the U.S. have a great deal of money, but it has money with a hierarchy power structure that's mm-hmm. very well known. And I also think, um, shit, just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> Oh, I know. Um, unlike other, um, I would say, unlike or less like um, Protestant denominations, Catholicism is much more bit built on ritual. So there oh, is yeah. like a physical, a much more emphasis on a physical participation in certain acts of like rituality that have really specific visual cues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think I've told you this, but I remember first time, um, you know, the, um, I don't know what it's called, but the oil blessing that the priest oh, yeah. uh, walk through the aisles and swing um, this ball filled with sense. oil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And someone described it to me as like, oh, that's medieval special effects. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Like it's from the Middle Ages. Yeah. Special effects of like visual cues and visual interest, and then of course there's the ornateness uh, yeah. from the history that's that is really appealing to people and can be quite beautiful. Um, but it does draw you in. Yeah. There's um. Well, what's and what is so interesting is about about that like it it is it's so medieval it's so meticulous and um and it's this incredible visual take every single thing about the incense burner about the way that the altar is set up like Mm -hmm. every single thing is so uh intensely designed and um and then when you well, at least this was my personal experience, but when you start to read other about pagan religions, of course, I mean, mm-hmm. everybody, like, I feel like, uh, I feel like pe- even I knew as a child that, like, some shit was up because they're just like, oh, right. yeah, Easter is the first Sunday after the full moon of whatever, you know, and it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, so the but because Catholicism is so mapped onto paganism, you can mm-hmm. also it's it's all of the rituals. It's just it's just so interesting that you're just like, "Oh yeah, they burn incense like many right. other cultures burn incense." And like, right. "Oh, the priest says an incantation over the Eucharist to like do the transubstantiation." It's it's it reaches back thousands and thousands of years yeah i and just a um preface i feel like we do need maybe a few vocab guidelines <laughs> well first of all i realized i was incorrect incense they do the incense in the ball and then they will have a bowl with a sort of brush where they fling oil and sometimes they do that both at once 
Um, <laughs> so that does happen, a blessing from a priest through mass. Um, and then also transubstantiation <laughs> is the, I think particularly Catholic, I don't think there's another Christian religion that believes mm -hmm. this, um, is the belief that through mass, um, and, and through the priests, um, through that sacrament, the Eucharist really becomes the body of Christ. It is no longer bread or wafer, it's the body of Christ. And same with the wine, it becomes the blood of Christ. So just for all you uh, non-raised Catholics out there. <laughs> Our secular brothers and sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for us now. Um, but... <laughs> I was like, I think we might be too niche at the moment. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. But yes, yeah, they are. They are all like adopted. You're totally right. Like the the ritual aspects for a lot of these are just even older cultural practices that are adopted to like like it's a master class in obviously colonizing. The Catholic Church and 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 making and making your religion palatable yeah. to a group that you just took over, right, right, or indoctrinating you know them into it. Yes, yeah, you force them. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of like it's it's like well, you can preserve your pagan calendar like after the winter solstice. Right. That's when Christ was born. Like cool, you know, right. and and it's it's just and because of that then there is um that and that there is i i just want to say that the to me the mystery of all of this all of the religiosity is is how did people it's anthropological the mystery for me is like how, people uh, humans evolved in a way where they're coming they're they're evolving out of this like subsistence and and this isn't just Catholicism, of course, this is back in like Hellenistic, ancient Egypt, like the world over people and like indigenous to North America as well. Um, they're evolving out of this like subsistence way of living and they're not just surviving. And so then they create this whole world of meaning, world of rituals. They have, you mm -hmm. see like creation myths about all bits and pieces of um of your reality like where did water right. come from where did the sun come from and um and and it it's so incredible to have this like incredible in the way that like it's it's literally unbelievable i can't believe it how <laughs> how how uh catholicism in particular has such philosophical rigor to like define all of these phenomena uh to you know, read, like, create these rituals from paganism, from different indigenous uh, practices around Europe, um, when Christianity was proliferating in that region. And, um, and to me, this, uh, the 21st century is, is just kind of like doing the same thing. It's, it's just sort of like mm -hmm. a, going off of a story, uh, these myths, and just kind of like proliferating it out in like this severely ironic like insane Guy Debord <laughs> spectacle, like it's so yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like that idea of it. No, I think that's right on. That it's like a, a different era, almost, of conceptualizing these same sort of stories, myths, ideology. One thing I do think is interesting, back to those hot priests, which yes. <laughs> this is all related to, because I do think, again, we talked about like hot priest is a listener, he's a leader, he's made a promise that he, you know, can't touch women. Um, or, yeah. or anyone, right, sorry, um, <laughs> literally anyone. Um, and but also that uh, he's he's mysterious, he's removed, um, and he's part of this ancient tradition, kind of, and in a lot of ways, a figurehead. Um, but in a lot of the books and movies in which a hot priest exists, um, <laughs> like in Fleabag, Dairy Girls, there's a lot. Um, the actual Catholicism of the priest, like his faith life is, I think it, it's there in Fleabag, but is really not that much part of the attraction to him. You yeah. know, like that, like there's not a lot besides like maybe the guilt of his indiscretion or something like that. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot about like Catholicism, which is kind of interesting yeah. and actually brought me to, I mean, if you want to go to it, we don't have to, but <laughs> of course I want to go there. Um, what Mary is uh, gracefully modeling. It's a giant book. <laughs> um, yeah. Before we get to the thorn birds, another thought yeah. occurred to me that um, there's, I mean, cause yeah, obviously like the priesthood, the thorn birds was written in the 1970s. And so the priesthood has been fetishized even since before then. I'm sure there's probably myriad examples in like Victorian times too, I bet. But um, because mm -hmm. it's this, it's, it's attractive because of um, this idea of transgressing boundaries and, and tempting whatever. But at very, at the beginning of this episode, <laughs> I um, <laughs> talked about the, uh, how this article sort of cites like 2017, 2018 being this like moment. Um, and, and certainly the Met Gal that Met Gala played a huge part of it. But I do actually think that this re that this resurgence in the popularity of Catholicism in particular, and like, and maybe a little bit of like priesthood interest, whatever, like there's always been um, like in the nineties, the Catholic Church had bad PR because of the because of the reveal of the abusive clergy and it yeah. was um and and all of this like seedy underbelly was being revealed and it was um and it was tragic and to to hear about that and so I think that the Catholic Church having the the money and the the effort and like tons of people behind it started doing a huge PR effort to oh yeah make it more positive um but then also that you know who captured wow this is becoming like a way longer take than I anticipated um sorry <laughs> <laughs> please keep going um but like first the first person who like really captured the imagination of people who really who was a a boon to the PR of the Vatican was Pope John Paul II he was like the people's pope and um, every he, super popular, 
super down to earth. Um, really, like he succeeded the Pope who led Vatican II. Vatican right. II, of course, like opens it, like makes the mass in all languages, translates the mass out of Latin into all languages, makes it more universal, more accessible to everybody. And then Pope John Paul II uh, is, embraces media. He embraces the fact that he like to travel around um he has this iconic photograph with the person who tried to assassinate him and like teaches people like models forgiveness models this like i'm sorry to say it but it's like fucking christ-like forgiveness (laughs) um and it, it it's it's incredible to watch a man do this to think like this person tried to kill you and you're there in prison visiting with him so anyway he models that and he like his image is is so profound then to the disappointment of the vatican i'm sure they elect ratzinger yeah a nazi (laughs) (laughs) and it's like oh shit and so and he's like ousted i think that's my own like conspiracy theory really yeah okay um i mean i don't think i i don't i'm not gonna assert that as truth i think that the i'm like purely speculating but like the fact that he Come resigned, on. yeah. Um, and Nobody then you have, yeah. right, right. And then in what, 2013, 2014, you get Pope Francis, who's ex- so young. Mm-hmm. He's from South America and right. like the first non European, non Western priest or Pope, excuse me. Uh, and and, the Jesuit, which oh, they yeah. They've never had, had before. Yeah. So, and he, and he says, like, fuck capitalism and like he's he goes against the grain and so i think that he really captured the imagination of people and it's this like it was an escalating uh an an escalating thing ever since vatican ii really but um but but i think francis and also the fact that he came into the into the vatican during social media like instagram was really taking off at that point in 2013 so right he has his own twitter account oh, yeah. <sighs> the pups on twitter um <laughs> what a time to be alive the pope is on twitter I, yeah and you do see certainly then the also the ramifications of that push and pull because it's with ratzinger that this beginning of um with ratzinger and then the change to francis that um, this trad Catholicism starts mm-hmm. to appear again mm-hmm. because what was accepted or even sometimes praised in the Ratzinger is now um, rebuked by Francis and, and um, right. put down. So everything about it was a total yeah. rebrand. I mean, Ratzinger was what Pope Benedict the 16th. And so it's just like, okay, yeah. like yawn a whole like a 16, <laughs> 16 year or 16 series progression into Benedict. But then, then Francis is Pope Francis chooses like the first ever. And it's like a, yeah. like Francis of Assisi was right. um, super pious, not popular kind of thing. So it's definitely a departure. I, yeah, I do think that it was a big rebrand. And I don't think that Francis is inauthentic in, in any way I think that he probably truly he seems authentic to me but I do think that it was a big his election 
or whatever. I mean, allegedly the Holy Spirit chooses. But anyway, uh, <laughs> allegedly the Holy Spirit is like in the room where they vote. But because <laughs> basically when a new pope, oh my God. Okay. Yeah, we do need vocabulary. When a new pope is chosen, all of the cardinals in the Vatican go into a room, the Sistine Chapel, and vote. Right. And supposedly, oh my God, the young Pope. Oh man, oh, this is uh, going to be a very packed is, yeah. season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Let's get into the Thornbirds. Okay. Before we get carried away. <laughs> uh, well, the Thornbirds. Um, I want, yeah, as we said, not the original hot priest, but probably the blueprint for a lot of the hot priests we see nowadays. Yep. Yep. Um, and written in the 70s by um, the Australian writer Colleen McCullough, I believe. <laughs> I think so. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. I think that's how you said it. Uh, <laughs> and then made into a very, very popular miniseries. Um, the book, I think, is like the best-selling Australian novel of basically all time. <laughs> um, and I think the miniseries is one of the most watched miniseries also of all time. Um, incredibly, incredibly popular. Um, it follows kind of the generations of this one, well, from New Zealand originally, then to Australia family. But mostly it follows um, the daughter the only daughter yeah. um, of this family and her relationship with um, this Australian priest who's very ambitious. And that's, that's the Thornbirds. <laughs> An epic, <laughs> epic saga. It's yeah. all, it's interesting to me that it like chronicles what, like 65 years or something like the book takes place yeah. over 65 years and it's this huge saga, but it's not multiple books. It's not like it's, yeah. you get the sense of like, like twilight or something. Um, that there's or and rice uh i think does this a lot you get the sense that like the publishers uh want to really milk the story and so they're just like the author will say like here's my book and then the publisher or like here's my trilogy and then you have like the publishing house being like no we need more produce more books and yeah. then you get um you get into sort of like a degraded <laughs> degenerate series um and but the thornbirds keeps it all to one very huge book and it's just it's like, big. yep, that's it. Um, and yeah, the the book itself, of course, as you said, as you just referenced, is a best-selling Australian book of all time. But then the miniseries puts it on the map globally, sort of. And it's um, in the '80s. It's like the most watched miniseries behind Roots, which I yeah. think was like a huge t television phenomenon. Um, right. Yeah, my experience with the Thornbirds, it's my mom's, one of my mom's most favorite books. And uh, behind Wuthering Heights. <laughs> um, <laughs> really, is this podcast, we're just <laughs> making it for your mom. <laughs> it's the Bethany's mom syllabus, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but what I, I remember, I might have been in, in eighth grade or early high school, and someone gave my mom the DVD, like the box set of the Thornbirds miniseries. And we watched it. Um, it was so long. It took us like three days to finish it. 
just like binging. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so, so long. And I remember like my only takeaway was like, I just kept expecting Frank, the brother to come back who like never comes back. He's like a runner. <laughs> He's a runaway. That's like my only thing that I remember. I don't, it didn't really stick with me. Um, this like love affair between the priest and the, and, and Megan, Maggie. Um, but that's a huge, that's like, it's, it's scandalous. It's huge. Mm -hmm. it, 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 well, yeah, particularly in this one, because he knows her as a child. Um, <laughs> and like, they're really close Yeah, when she's really, really young. Um, because no one in her family really likes her or is nice to her, except for this oldest older brother who leaves. Um, yeah, and then, you know, she becomes a woman, and he's like, oh. <laughs> But her old aunt has a crush yeah. on him. There's, like, a weird triangular yeah. thing, sort of love triangle kind of thing. Who, and then, right. and you really get the sense, that plot line, it's it's a wealthy aunt. It's a wealthy family member, um, Megan, Maggie's aunt, uh, who has a crush on this priest, and um, uses her well. She's she uses her riches to sort of advance his career and that subplot attests to the corruption of the church, I guess. Um, yeah. The role right. So, and he himself is like incredibly ambitious. Yeah. Um, he wants to be a Cardinal kind of, I think probably wants to be Pope. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it becomes, you're like, oh, this is the, like, I'm a priest to become, like, in some ways, a politician. Like, right, that's yeah. a lot of my role is that I'm involved in the, in moving up the hierarchy of the church. And the aunt's money allows him to do that. Uh, yeah. Which he normally wouldn't. Right, right. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's so, it's, it is corrupt, just like a corrupt government or, I mean, the Pope used to be the king of Rome, so it is a monarchy, um, too. Like, it still maintains some of that. You get the, you get the sense right. that it maintains the allure of a monarchy. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and, it, and it, it tends to attract, I think because of that, too, it tends to attract very ambitious people. And also, and why wouldn't it? I mean, like... The Pope and the Cardinals, like, they get to, like, walk around their villas pondering the meaning of life. Like, who wouldn't want to do that? That's a very, a very luxurious lifestyle. <laughs> it is, yes. And and you have tons and tons of power. Yes. Um, I mean, like, look at the weird U.S. bishops and cardinals. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the tons of power yeah. on U.S. law. Yeah. In the Thornbirds, finally, after years and years, um, Ralph is the priest. Why is he named Ralph? That's such a... I don't know. It's like Ralph de, de Briscock. I, I don't de remember how to pronounce it. The de Yeah, something like, oh, I don't know. It's French sounding. <laughs> D-B something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ralph. He, is a, yeah. Or Ralph, yeah. He yeah. Uh, goes to the Vatican, goes to Rome, um, but then eventually, and, and, and Maggie finds someone else to marry. I think she marries the dude who, like, kind of resembles him. Yeah. And, um, but he ends up being extremely abusive, uh, not really into her, just kind of, like, uses her. And 
she has a kid with that guy thinking that that's gonna settle him down it doesn't and then ralph comes back and um and then he fathers her next child and then there's this whole relationship the last part of the book uh focuses on this relationship between maggie's child with ralph but she never tells him uh presumably because that would torture him yeah i don't know but i mean it wouldn't he have already felt guilt just for like sleeping with her doing it (laughs) um (laughs) yes she she goes on this like whole thing of (laughs) um how this child is like the thing she took from God, like God gets Ralph, but I get this child. And it's really weird. And, and part of it makes me like, oh, is this not really about Ralph at all, but some sort of like bizarre standoff with God? Yeah, which that's what happens in Fleabag for sure. That's part of the yeah. narrative in Fleabag. She she has that line where she after she sleeps with the priest, um, the sexy priest, and and he's just like, he's coming to sort of like break up with her or whatever, stop talking to her, and she was like, it's God, isn't it? He's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> so it's, it's fully a thing about temptation, and I think that people, what, what captures people's at- imagination too is um, it, now that we are in a post-religious world, I guess, I would, I would say that Freud and Darwin sort of like ushered us into the <laughs> into the post-religious um and you have secularism you have atheism mm-hmm. but there are still people and it seems like the death of God or whatever I guess that that's Nietzsche it's not Freud and Darwin they sort of play a role but Nietzsche is the one who said it um you have this like you have people saying like yeah there's no such thing as God people don't have don't claim spirituality anymore And, but you have, but there are some people who do live their life by that, by that logic and priests, sisters, members of the clergy, um, really truly and fully believe. And so that's part of the allure too, maybe of hot priests is like, Mm. oh, you're choosing this like spiritual realm and you're living by it. Um, and that's, and that's pretty hot. There's also like the, in the early 20th century, there was also, um, like around world war two-ish I guess I guess because that's Thomas Merton was alive then but Thomas Merton talks about being a fuckboy and there's tons of priests <laughs> who are like I was a fuckboy and then I found uh, God Confessions by Augustine <laughs> they, it's a blueprint <laughs> it's yeah mm. and there's Made something that tempting about that. <laughs> yeah sorry um, there's, uh, <laughs> what Mary is referring to is, uh, St. Augustine who lived in like, what, the 900s or something? I don't know anymore. He was like a yeah. Northern African man who, yeah. uh, ha- wrote, became this, became a, a priest, part of the clergy, became sort of a monk, yeah. devoted his life to God, ends up writing, uh, very influential philosophies on Christianity, um, but also wrote a book called Confessions and not the Usher song. And uh, but kind of similar to <laughs> <laughs> the Usher song probably got its inspiration. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Um, but maybe. 
but writes confessions <laughs> and says like i was a slut i was a huge fuck boy <laughs> i love like spreading it around but yeah jesus so but jesus and yeah and then becomes like incredibly um dogmatic and like intense and um a lot of the like catholic guilt um sort of phenomena i feel like stems from him because he there's this one story about he steals a pear from a tree that is not his tree <laughs> as like a child and he still feels so bad about it and it's a metaphor and we get it and <laughs> um yeah but he confesses it in confessions uh along with other things and then you know he waits until his deathbed to get baptized which is how really? you gotta do I have it no idea I believe he's dying when he gets baptized and wow. then you get to go straight to heaven no purgatory baby because you're forgiven of original sin so you're good to go <laughs> <Check. Sorry>. uh... <laughs> we should it's... have all planned it that way <laughs> yeah um yeah it's it's super and and thomas merton similarly hundreds of years later yeah, <laughs> millennia later um is thomas merton is this is uh allegedly a fuck boy according to him and his memoirs but then has these really beautiful uh philosophies of life especially in the face in the in the wake of the world wars in the face of senseless tragedy and death that that might mm -hmm. also be part of the allure too is that people so much culture and art and media that came out of the two world wars is about the senselessness because there was tragedy and such violence and inconceivable violence with the holocaust and so it's sort of like god has i mean i mean god had a, a, an initial resurgence there because you have um what's the the book by the holocaust survivor the search for meaning um, oh man's search for meaning man, and, uh, and victor frankel yeah yeah and there's some sort of sense of like all i have left is god all i have left right. is, is prayer um and yeah i think that that's part of the allure too yeah i think yeah at that time you have like god has abandoned us and now all i have is religion or like you know like both both polar ends of like right. doubling down on, 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 on faith um, as a way of making sense of the world and, um, or making sense of senselessness. Uh, yeah, so the, I do like the idea that like the man of faith is like attractive because he, um, he because he has faith in general yeah. when most people don't yeah. and like that he has some sort of yeah that he has some sort of like guiding principles about the world um somehow make him um yeah more like more readily attractive as as a human to someone and everybody wants what they can't have yes of course and, and uh, to some extent people love to be told no sometimes mm -hmm. um and and it's it becomes a cat and mouse game sort of when i was studying <laughs> when i was studying abroad <laughs> in rome um this story was definitely gonna make it <laughs> onto the they pad had to. <laughs> but when i was 
our uh, St. Mary's had its, um, I went to a Catholic university. Uh, As did I. (laughs) But you you went to an all girls Catholic university. Um, And I went to an all girls high school. Yeah. I never knew that. Oh my God. I went to a Catholic all girls high school. (laughs) Shout out to Lorena. (laughs) Mary and I lived the same life. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> High school, I think, is like probably a little bit more severe as an, going to an all women's school. I think it would be a lot different um, in college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in any case, St. Mary's has its own campus in Rome, and our the church that that provides like campus ministry, uh, the the men who say the mass are part of the North American pontifical school. And then there's, and so they're like the, in the actively seminarians or active seminarians. And then for the Eucharist, um, part of the mass, a priest comes in and consecrates communion. But, um, but the person who's saying the mass and the person who's like giving the sermons and stuff are these young seminarians. And the one during my year, the guy during my year is, was father Nick he was around our age. He was like mid twenties, early or mid to late twenties, and everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. He also ran this campus ministry thing every Monday night called God Squad. <laughs> okay. And we would like go and eat gelato and talk about <laughs> theology in Rome. Who wouldn't love that? It, the scene was the it was a perfect setting um (laughs) and and yeah there was this like okay we get to hang out with father nick on like sunday nights is mass and then monday night is god squad and that's like the only time that you have but what's hilarious is that like he did tell us a a pretty funny story um that the pontifical north america north american pontifical school has these like amazing facilities tennis courts basketball courts and I guess um, because there was a relationship between St. Mary's College and the Pontifical School, um, the St. Mary's students would go over, like the priests, the seminarians, excuse me, um, would invite the girls over to like play basketball. And it was like fun. Everybody like hung out. They were all friends. But then yeah. uh, something, <laughs> this uh, <laughs> phenomenon started occurring repeatedly where seminarians were leaving the seminary to marry the... <laughs> to wed the St. Mary's women. (laughs) And by the time I got to, by the time I got to the Rome program, uh, we were not allowed. St. Mary's women were not allowed on the pontifical campus. Too much temptation. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really funny too. By the time I was a senior in college, um, Father Nick had come back, but at that point he had, been ordained and everybody was like really disappointed they were like oh, that he no. made it all the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i know several people yeah that um i either had as teachers in college or yeah like went to a seminary and then met someone yeah. and left seminary yeah yeah um we're like actually I, i'd rather get married uh <laughs> And I'll become a professor because the, my attraction to this is that I get to spend all day learning. Right, right. 
it seemed like a large part of it. Um, do you think that youth pastors have the appeal of priests? Um, are you talking about the youth pastors who are like specifically a part of the like campus ministry thing? The ones yes. Who are yeah. I mean, like, the... yeah, like you're working with not like young kids, like you're working with like in like a college campus or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I think, I think it, yes, I think it largely depends on, um, I think that How they're cool a little you bit are. cornier. Yeah. They are very <laughs> corny. <laughs> and so I think that it not, can be. Not all the time. Not all the time, but the line I'm between talking that like, is thin. Yes, the guitar playing, sandal oh. wearing. You know what I'm talking about. Like, very stereotype, and I don't mean that youth pastors are great. Um, but <laughs> this particular. Yeah, so. I think that they tend toward cringe. I don't think that they're as hot. <laughs> because I think that they try really hard to seem like to like blend in I think that I once had a theology teacher in high school um a lady who said uh if God if Jesus came today he'd be wearing jeans and she loved that um <laughs> she loved that musing she was just like wow can you believe it if Jesus came today he'd be wearing jeans and uh <laughs> And I think that a lot of youth pastors try to, I think that a lot of them have that same frame of mind. And so they try yeah. to be like part of the cool kids by wearing sandals, by doing yeah. instruments, whatever. And I think that that makes it casual. Cool. Yeah. Cringier. It seems like it's, it's like, hello, fellow young people kind of vibe. And um, whereas as priests who are dressed in the collar even the priests who are wearing a cassock all the time, like, again, it's that, like, wow, this person is committed. Yeah. What do you think? <sighs> no, I'm just thinking about the youth pastors I have known. <laughs> 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 mm -hmm. We had one. This is a Lutheran youth pastor. Um, he had a song called I Want to Chew My Gum with God. So that's like Jesus and blue jeans. Um, <laughs> and then, I, you know, there were the occasional like church. I don't know. Were you ever invited to like a church group, like a, a middle school youth, a youth group um, yeah. for one of those, like, I guess I would say like a born again or Pentecostal or something adjacent church. I've no, I've no, no I've only ever done it in the within the Catholic church. I've never gone oh. to like other denominations. Well, those are a trip. The like I'm talking like mega church vibe, right? Of, right. Like, like Jesus they, Camp. Yeah, they had like a half pipe where people were skateboarding during this youth group <laughs> session. I mean, it worked. I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And then people started getting awards for speaking in tongues on their youth group oh my trip, God. and I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not, not sure about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> the, yeah. That wasn't a hot priest situation. No, I, I don't think so. Admittedly, um, I, I, I can't think of a, a, a hot priest I've ever met in real life. Oh, interesting. You know, it's, 
for me, it is only in movies. <laughs> and <books>. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you? Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that the I think that Father Nick. I think that his age played a role. Of course, yeah. Like being definitely. a peer was something, but then that's not to say that people are definitely attracted to like the whole dad vibe. And yeah, father. father. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. The new daddy father uh, <laughs> uh yeah um Ugh. reminds me of the recent tiktok that went viral <laughs> that's like the girl is like when you realize that the universe has daddy energy so you start talking to the universe as daddy and then like and then all of the religious meme groups are like this is abrahamic religion <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's another another thing that I that intrigues me about this subject. Um, I'm like, of course, we'll get into it. But I do think that there's I think that people underestimate the um, the sort of I hate to say it this way, but like the toll that secularism takes on people. Mm. Um, I, I think that there is a toll. I think that, again, in human evolution, um, there's you have like subsi like you, humans are animals who are subsisting but then there something happens whatever the human condition is <laughs> um but something happens and you start to have a need for ritual and a need for yeah. placing meaning on things and um and and it becomes a spirituality and like and the world over having creation myths and so i think that secularism does definitely take a toll and I don't know if people were in like a, a time of like extreme secularism where people just like don't want to see the life in anything and almost nearly they don't want to see the life in other people um, having like a war ravaged planet. Uh, and I think that that cycles through human history, too. I think that I mean, this is not the only period of human history where there's like extreme wars and conquerings, mm -hmm. but um, but it seems to be followed by some sort of religiosity complicated by crusades and wars being fought for religion but right. anyway uh but i do think that there's a the resurgence of catholicism of like like memeing religion um is coming out of this like need for a, a true investigation um mm. young people are maybe sort of like needing an investigation i think that like the astrology getting really popular in the 1960s was a part of that and now you're seeing like astrology and tarot being connected to folk catholicism yeah yeah well i think it's not dissimilar to how we what we talked about last season of people looking beyond like rational yeah. thought for some sort of deeper spiritual connection and need and needing it um, because it's incredibly, oh, incredibly violent world. Um, yeah. So like not truly, yeah, truly not apart from that same conversation. I think. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I think that <laughs> kicks us <laughs> off into a, <laughs> um, into a fantastic season. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover? Well, I, yeah, I, not really so much as just saying that I think this season is, is a little more free form than last season will be. Obviously we have main topics, but it's really exploring the same idea again and again. You know, we might talk about hot priests. We might talk about um, priests as monsters. We might talk a lot. We might talk about the growing trad Catholicism, um, traditional Catholicism online, especially with younger generations. Um, But it all kind of is still coming back to this idea of like, the the desire and the drive to perform Catholicism mm-hmm. uh, online on social media in contemporary culture and and what that means and uh, we might we might we will do a recurring segment the trad Catholic corner where we talk about this phenomenon of of people like specifically being very public and being and putting their Christianity or their religious, their religious beliefs um, on the internet in a highly visible environment. Um, Trad Catholic corner, sort of. It doesn't have to be Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is like, this is not totally. um, This is not just isolated to Catholicism. There are so many sort of nostalgic and reactionary um modes of christianity like uh, new flavor new flavors of christianity of of christian denominations that are very um past looking and they, they want to go back to a stricter and more conservative version of that religion um, I think a couple of years ago, Calvinism came back, which again, predetermination, here we go. I was like, what? <laughs> and now people are Calvin's, Calvinists again, which is wild. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty, that is pretty. That was like a dead religion and or dead <laughs> denomination and it is now alive again. So <laughs> the resurrection. Yeah, these like tr- trad <laughs> traditional versions so they say, um, of those faith denominations. And they're very present online. Who is the first that we're talking about in the trad, the trad corner? Oh, 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 so hard to say. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe we can just talk about the, the meme groups. Yes. Um, right. That's sort of an obvious one that we can start with the uh in the in the gq article prayers up um they talk about the i need god in every moment of my life group which is an instagram (laughs) run by four people um and and they're interesting because like they can get they can they reshare a lot of trad memes interesting um and but they you because some of their other content is ironic and is like genuinely questioning spirituality, you never know if like they're sharing in good faith. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, you never know if they're sort of like sharing in good faith or just resharing to be ironic and to be funny, um, which right. is interesting. Um, there's also, there's another page called Memes of Heresy, 
uh, which is <laughs> is really uh, good. It's really good, and um, and gets. I think the the draw to that page is she's so specific. She's orthodox, or the content that she shares is orthodox, mostly Eastern Orthodox Christianity, and um, that is a whole world unto itself that is a whole other kind of imperial taking over of uh like probably indigenous like witchcraft or indigenous paganism on the on the eastern part of europe um so yeah eastern orthodoxy is is really interesting uh and she sort of like reveals that she gets that's extremely trad (laughs) (laughs) but she also talks about like side wound christ or whatever anyway oh my god (laughs) side wound christ um (laughs) yeah there and there's like particular we'll get into it but like there's a lot of youtubers who um are like fundamentalist christians who are preaching a kind of like really old school i'll say that nicely (laughs) um uh way of life um, and it really like intense about family life, about gender roles, and they're really reactionary. Um, and they're incredibly fascinating. I have to say like a trip. Um, <laughs> so all of that is coming. That is all to say in our trad Catholic corner. Yeah. The Mormon influencers are coming. Mormon influencers are are so interesting because like there was a moment in the in the like early 2010s where all these family bloggers yeah mommy bloggers yeah yeah yeah. they they get this huge resurgence and then and it's sort of just like and people I never I don't really understand the appeal of family blogs um I guess if if I guess if I were like a young mother or something and I was trying to get like tips and advice maybe that's what what draws people into that but then what ended up happening is like the people who take who really take like nuclear family stuff seriously uh, to the point where it's a kind of spirituality are the are the mormon family it's it's the mormon family structure so then they become really popular bloggers yeah and for a while i feel like they um i don't know if it's intentional but it does seem intentional that they were sitting were not clear a lot of them were not explicitly yeah. stating that they were mormon yeah um because i think they wanted to appeal to a, a wider group and obviously a lot of people have a lot of judgments about mormonism so they wouldn't initially appeal to people and this made them more like palatable mm-hmm. um they would they would talk about christianity but they they wouldn't state they were mormon until much later even though it's like pretty obvious because there's like six blonde kids um (laughs) all named like non-biblical names too like kaylee and no sorry sorry to all the kayleys on there (laughs) (laughs) i'm just thinking about that lady with her chalkboard and those do you know what i'm talking about where it's like possible baby names and they're like she's like scratching them out and they're all like (laughs) the most ridiculous (laughs) <laughs> non-biblical names yeah. Borden, <laughs> yeah and they're Bailey, all like they Dax, spelled yeah. wildly yeah with, like y's and z's and they're just like 
Everything ends in an E or yeah, or Lee and Satan. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. Um <laughs> there's also a tick now there's a TikTok creator out there who predicts influencer baby names. Ooh. Um, and yeah, she's interesting. I'll have to How accurate are they? They're like right on. Sometimes like wow. mo- I would say most of the time they're one letter off and then like probably 90% of the time they're one letter off and then the other 10% they're exactly right. It's it's the most mind-blowing thing. <laughs> how, how accurate she is. I'll have to send you stuff, the links, because she's crazy. She has a whole method. Beautiful. <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited for this season and I think we have a lot of great things coming up. Um, be on the lookout on uh, social media for some oh, yeah. uh, <clears throat> trad c- Catholic practices of our own. <laughs> it is the Christmas season, and with Christmas comes things like little prizes in an advent calendar. Mm. <laughs> Maybe that's too much hype, Ritchie- but whatever. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Advent calendar for y'all for sad girls everywhere (laughs) yay okay well thanks mary thank you bethany talk to you later